So just taking uh, this month to look at different aspects each Sunday of church, and, and especially when we come together, when we gather as a, a congregation. Of course, we only have a few weeks, and so we're not going to do an exhaustive look at it, but kind of touching on different aspects. And today I'm going to be teaching something I've taught all over the world, but I've never taught here in this format. I've taught it on four different continents. I thought, well, maybe I should share this here at my own church. Um, but this is one of the main teachings, que es una iglesia. Okay, everybody say it together. Que es una iglesia. Okay, so what is church? Um, everyone has ideas of what church is. Everyone, even non-Christians, you know, they have a perception. They have, um, you know, expectations from what they've heard, what they've gleaned from culture, what they see on television. And so everyone comes into church with a picture, an idea. And a part of sanctification is changing our idea and expectation that we come with to what the Bible intends so that we can be what God intends his church to be. And um, we're going to look at a, a passage that is recognized um, throughout Christendom as literally a snapshot of the first century church. It's a description of the uh, early church in Acts 2.42. We're going to read through it and then use this as the basis and theologians from every uh, stream of church recognize this passage as one of the best descriptions of what uh, the church is. And so from this passage, we can see we're actually going to identify, oh, do we want to hand out the handouts? Can you hand out the handouts? Twelve essential ingredients of church. Twelve essential aspects of, of what the church looks like when they gather, when, when, you, when we function as a church. All right, let's read it. It says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and then awe or fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so uh, one of the big challenges I have today is I normally have two to three hours to teach this. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but we go into a greater depth, and we also talk about how, as leaders, most I teach this uh, to uh, train, I do pastor training uh, schools, uh, where I normally teach this. And so we discuss how to implement this in and, and different ways, strengths and weaknesses. But I'm just gonna, we're just going to skim through this like a stone skipping over a pond, and hopefully we'll get all 12 skips. How many have skipped a stone 12 times? Really? Yeah, you've tried it 12 times. <laughs> all right, now there are books written on this, actually a very famous book. Uh, 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 purpose-driven church, um, and they identify five elements. But when I went to study this, I'm like, I see more than five. 
and you can break them into those five categories. I actually uh, highly recommend that book, and, and it was influenced. But in digging through this I, and slowly reading through this and studying it, I see 12 characteristics that are essential. Just like baking a cake, you know, if you, if you don't put in the ingredients, especially like that baking soda, you don't get a cake. You know, you get a hard, chewy thing. <laughs> and it's not, so we need every ingredient in order to be a, a, a full church. And I, I, I have this illustration to help us remember it. Of course, everything is centered around Christ. So in the middle, you have the cross. In everything, we're Christ-centered. But the first one is, is that they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. That uh, means that uh, the definition of the word is that they were earnest. Uh, they persevered. Uh, they were uh, diligent in a constant way. But what I like is that it can also be translated courageous. Yeah, they were courageous. And listen, to be a church, to survive, to be a Christian, to persevere, you need to have courage. All right? Because the world's against us, Satan's against us, but the worst enemy is the flesh. Right here. Okay? And so we have to be, uh, uh, we have to continue steadfastly. That means you don't give up. People fail in their faith. Churches fail when they give up. It's the only thing the enemy can get you to do because he can't win. All right? And so that's an essential aspect. They have to be courageous. They have to have a, a, a willingness to persevere diligently. Number two, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. All right, so the leaders taught and the people learned. It is significant here, and most people don't understand it this way, but I like to highlight. When this was written, the apostles were still alive. Okay, it doesn't say they were devoted to the, the scriptures. And that's how we most commonly read it. Now, the apostles' teachings were Scripture, right? They based their teaching on Scripture. We know this from the rest of the New Testament. But the idea I want to point out here is that there was a devotion to receiving teaching. And guess what? You all get a gold star because you're here, and I'm here, and we're teaching. And so it's, it's biblical teaching, and yes, we're were to study the writings of the apostles and scriptures, but this, the idea here is that an essential ingredient in church is that there's leaders identified, recognized in their gifting that are teaching scripture in a proper way. And that's an element that you just can't, you can't be a church without that aspect. That there's identified, recognized people that bring authoritative teaching and develop uh, uh, what we call discipleship and training to the church. Uh, in Acts 6, uh, uh, they were, uh, had the difficulty, the early church, there were so many people, and they were feeding those who were poor, and the widows especially, <clears throat> um, and uh, it was getting out of hand, and the disciples uh, summoned the multitude and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the uh, apostles were 
helping distribute the food. They're like, man, we need to give our attention to God's word and to prayer. And so this is where they had the congregation select people to take care of the food program so that the leaders of the church, the pastors, what we would call pastors and apostles, could give their time and energy toward studying the word and seeking God in prayer. And so we see that as a a priority in Scripture uh, throughout the New Testament. And understanding that uh, the authority of a Christian, the authority of a minister, and the authority of a church rests solely in God's Word. All right? Uh, churches can use gimmicks and, 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 and different things to grow. Uh, but that doesn't give us scriptural, it doesn't give us genuine spiritual authority. That only comes through God's word. And so everything we do needs to be undergirded with uh, the word of God and uh, it needs to be uh, a, a, ma- a major emphasis of what we do. There we go. Right? <clears throat> Number three. I'm going fast. I need to slow down. Say, no, Cameron, don't slow down. <laughs> they were devoted to fellowship. All right? Fellowship. This is one of the Greek words I think all Christians should get to know. It's the Greek word koinonia. Everyone say it, koinonia. All right, and this uh, is defined as association, community, communion, or I think what's the best is joint participation. Uh, It's the share uh, anyone has in a, a group endeavor, okay? The part that you bring. Uh, to the whole. And so koinonia is uh, really uh, uh, something, uh, it's such a rich word that uh, understanding uh, it helps us understand really the essence of the church. Next week I'm going to delve into uh, a little more about how we come together and share in an actual Sunday service. Uh, But this happens Throughout, you know, not just when we gather as, as a church, but just in the life of the church, each one of us has something. You bring something to the congregation, and, and when uh, we talk about the word, uh, biblical word koinonia, it's not just fellowship in the sense of hanging out and having a cup of coffee with people, but that is a huge part of it, okay? It means that you're invested in one another. In fact, the word Koinonia in early uh, in the first century was the word that they would use to describe when several people would gather to open a business and each would contribute a portion, their share of uh, the equity that would start a business. And so you had three partners and they each put in, you know, $10,000 and each, that was their koinonia. And in the same way, when you, we come together and offer what we have, that's koinonia, but that also means that we're doing life together, we're doing church together, it, 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 it creates genuine community. And listen, koinonia, fellowship, true community is forged in the furnace of conflict, misunderstandings, disappointments, right? <laughs> Betrayals. Repentance, forgiveness, endurance, victories, successes, and celebrations. All of it 
And so when you experience disappointment in uh, a church or in someone else in the church, guess what? That's an opportunity to go deeper in koinonia, deeper in fellowship, to, to actually uh, have a bond that's stronger. Because if you work through it, you will have a stronger bond. But if you, if you uh, uh, drop and run, then you're, then you're just putting up that trial off for another day. Because God will bring you back to the place where you're willing to courageously face uh, discomfort, disappointment, to endure so that you can have deeper fellowship, deeper communion with his people. Because God wants a people. See, the thing is that the church is designed to take over the world. Serious. What are we doing here? We're getting ready to take over the world. Not through weapons of bombs and rifles and knives, but with a weapon of love and sacrifice. All right? And so we need to be skilled and trained and, and uh, hardened in our convictions of paying the price to have true community. And that is an essential aspect of the church. Next one. Devoted to the breaking of bread. There's two places where food is mentioned in this passage. I believe, and I interpret, this first to refer to communion. Uh, what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, if you're brought up in the Catholic uh, tradition. <clears throat> it's the practice and purpose the practice and the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And they were devoted to it in the same way that they were devoted to teaching. And, and later we'll talk about prayer. It was something that they, they, they gave attention to. They did it regularly. It's publicly remembering what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he broke, his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. And it's also declaring our belief that he will return again. Right? These are core elements of what it means to be Christian. And we display it. And I love that, you know, in the Old Testament, you read about all those festivals, all... Have you ever read the Old Testament? <clears throat> you should. Give it a try. <laughs> it's so confusing. It's okay. Just skip over, you know, just read through the confusing parts. There's enough of it that you'll understand. And then read it again, and eventually you'll get the, get the grasp of the whole thing. But there's many different uh, festivals that all Israelites were required to participate in, and they each have different meanings, and there's some people that really can teach that, um, and there's riches in there. But Jesus left us with just one, all right? It's like, let's get, let's get this simple. And think, like, he took all of those and said, let's just remember this one it's more than a ceremony, but it is a ceremony. And so there's this one practice that we are to continue to do, and that's the Lord's Supper. Do you think that might be important? Yeah, it's super important. Unfortunately, <clears throat> most churches uh, forget about it, especially contemporary evangelical charismatic churches, of which we happen to be one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, many of the pastors uh, uh, that I 
uh, in, in communication with, and especially the ones I mentor, I'll go, how often do you do communion? And they'll go, ah, they don't even know. Yeah, whenever they think about it. Um, and so years ago, I in, instituted, we do it once a month. And it was in response to this teaching. Like, we need to do it regularly. And, and, and like, there's a good argument to do it every time you gather. And so if you grew up in a Lutheran or Catholic tradition, you did it every time. In fact, <clears throat> uh, we'll real quick go through this progression. <laughs> um, you can see the theology uh, change over the centuries by looking at the um, uh, worship space, right? So if you go back to, you know, the, uh, the Middle Ages and even uh, before the Reformation, so uh, when the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, um, all of that, and if you look at the Episcopal, the Church of England, Anglican Church, the whole building is uh, centered around the altar, okay? It's the visual focus of everything in the building is the altar where they present the elements, the bread and the wine, all right? Especially if you go to a a uh, traditional Catholic church, and I've been to them, where they have this incredible ceremony. Like the majority of the, the time in church is a ceremony preceding to and taking of the bread and the wine, right? Because that was the center. Because they saw that that was the center of the act of worship. And then we have the Reformation, where uh, the church learns that, wow, it's the, it, we're saved by grace and not by this ceremony, Grace is distributed, you know, from God, and that the the Word of God, the sola scriptura, the the authority of the church is the Word of God. That was the main teaching of the Reformation. Martin Luther, Wycliffe, uh, 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 Calvin, all those guys uh, taught that it's God's Word. And so, what you see is after the Reformation, the pulpit becomes the center visually of the church and the altar where the communion is made is literally put behind the pulpit which and usually if you if you look at some old school reformed churches i have a friend that has one in england and the pulpit's like you know 10 feet high and he can't tear it out because it's a historical building so they hide it behind banners it's really funny <laughs> But you can see it. Everyone in the room knows what it is. Because that was a season. <clears throat> and then we had uh, another change um, where, and, and I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but um, the next massive change was, was when, uh, actually it was during the 60s and 70s of the last century, where music became really the biggest focus. And actually, most churches where I teach this, there's not even a pulpit. We don't have a pulpit. We have a little table. We do have another pulpit. The other people like that. <laughs> um, almost always, I'm using a music stand for my computer, for my notes, right? Because the focus, you know, when you, when anybody walks in this room, you know, all these instruments and the sound system, and it became worship-centric. And I'm not saying any of these are good or bad. There just happens to be the emphasis of different cultures. 
uh, different sociological influences. <clears throat> and so all of that pushes the altar and the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper further back to where they just literally forgot about it. Some, some churches won't, will only do communion once a year. Um, and now, just to finish this little story, uh, what do you think is the becoming, and in many churches already has become, the central focus of the worship experience? The espresso machine. <laughs> Biggest thing in this room is that screen. All right? And we don't even, compared to other churches, this is humble. Okay? Seriously. Usually they have like three or four more. Or just look at, they have a whole wall behind the worship team that's doing this cool. I mean, it's, I love it. It's cool. But if you look at the price tag, I'm like, forget it. <laughs> and so, and it's just a sociological. The, the screen is now the focal point. And so we need, as a church, to remember that Jesus and the early church devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper, and there's power and there's purpose to that, and we need to not overlook it. The next thing is that they were devoted also to prayer. Prayer should be incorporated into every aspect of the church. It reminds us uh, forcefully that this is a God endeavor. It puts our focus and our dependence on uh, God and not our own resources. I attempt uh, pretty diligently to start any activity, whether it be a counseling service, a meeting, a church service, with some form of prayer. And so the saints is one of the reasons why in our community groups we've emphasized praying together and encourage you to be a participant in the community groups. And when there's time to pray, pray and pray aloud. Okay, pray aloud, out loud. Get used to it. You know how you get used to it? Do it when you're alone. Start praying out loud so you're not scared by your own voice. <clears throat> and I just understand that it's a, that's a big challenge. If you're struggling with that, don't feel ashamed. You're just a normal person. Okay? And, and you know, I've been praying out loud for centuries. <laughs> I mean decades. It all feels the same. So it's hard to get me to shut up. Uh, so just, and you may never be, you know, you're not me. We're all different, but you need to learn how to pray loud. Yeah, because when you do that together, it encourages, it lifts up other, other people. And church is meant to be a time where we encounter God. The number one reason people visit churches when they survey non-Christians, why did you go to church? Is that they, they were hoping to experience God in some way. And so we want to have this a place where people can experience God, and prayer is a vital part of it, corporate communal prayer. In fact, most of our worship songs are actually prayers. We sing prayers. And if we remember that, and uh, uh, you know, if the worship leaders or the pastors communicate that, I think Carrie said today, let's, let's sing back Jesus' words over us, all right? Well, that's prayer. We're just doing it with music. And so that's a, that's a legitimate part of it. All right, number six. We're halfway through. They were filled with God's uh, 
with, filled with awe, fear at God's goodness. Uh, wow, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> Something you might not find in some playbooks for church. How to grow your church. Make it scary. <laughs> so, uh, and that's why I like the word awe rather than fear, because there, there needs to be a sense of awe, but there is an aspect of fear in awe. All right? Um, and when we read the early church, it, you see things happen that are awful, like the couple that came to church and lied about their offering. What happened to them? They, they dropped dead. That was it. Not Aquila and Priscilla. It was Ananias and Sapphira. I always mix the two up. <laughs> Big difference. You know, and you can read about that. It's in that book, Bible. It's a story. They went to church and they died, like in front of everybody, one at a time. Husband came first, and then the wife came, and they, you know, they carried the body out. How about that for a church meeting? You know, thankfully, it only happened once, and, and I could do a teaching on that. I'm not going to, but uh, things happened. People got healed. Holy Spirit showed up. Tongues of fire. There were miracles happening. It was like, you know, intense. Now, this is something we can't just produce. And if you try to produce it, you're, you're failing. Yeah, we, we need to depend on God. God has to do this. We don't fake it. And I, I really dislike when churches try to fake it. I was at a church once, this is quite a bit some time ago, and, and, and it was actually, this was when supernaturally in several places there was just a cloud appeared during worship, like smoke, uh, <clears throat> to the point where, I, like, is there a fire going on? And then I went to this other church. I'm like, wow. It was an intense worship show. And I was like, wow. There's a cloud up there. And then I realized, oh, it's just a fog machine. <laughs> so listen, I actually think fog machines are cool because you can actually see the colored lights. And we tried to do it here, but we didn't have the, have the technology uh, honed enough to do it in a well way. Um, if you do it intentionally just to create a, an atmosphere that's engaging, that's one thing. But if you're trying to fake... <laughs> a miracle? Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> so what we can do is that we can take risks. We can teach about this. We can, we can come with expectation that God's going to do something miraculous. Come on. How many people would be more faithful coming to church if they knew if they didn't come to church, they might miss something supernatural. So the reason you don't come to church is that you don't have the expectation. That you might be physically healed or someone sitting next to you might be physically healed just by being in the meeting. Build an expectation and then take the risk. We're willing to take a risk to give space and time for God to do something awesome. All right, you like that one? Number seven, Scary Church, we'll call it. I'll write a book, Scary Church. <laughs> signs and wonders, this is similar. One is awe, second is signs and wonders. This is one that 
is often left out of the uh, books that uh, exegete this passage, but this was something that happened. It says that, that there were many healings and miracles uh, done in the midst of the congregation. And if you look at Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the early church, and if you remove the miraculous, there's not much left. All right? I mean, seriously. And so we, as it, to be a New Testament church, there needs to be signs and wondering, wonders happening. And if they're not happening, you're not a biblical New Testament church. I like to tell my fundamentalist brothers that. Fundamentally, it's part of the church. And we need to believe it. We need to teach it till we see it. Right? Teach it till you believe it. Pray for it. You, don't, you may have to pray for a, a, a hundred or a thousand blind people before you see the first eye healed. Is it worth it? Yes. And so uh, we believe that this is what God wants his church to have, and so we're pursuing it. And we do see signs and wonders in our congregation, and we want to celebrate that and seek after it as much as we can. Next one is super important. It's unity. They were together. They had all things in common. It's absolutely essential. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 2, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, uh, you know, if you got anything going on, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. That unity uh, uh, is part of uh, the absolute essential ingredients of a church. And that means that any aspect of disunity or anything that um, uh, uh, destroys or breaks unity is not of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now uh, confrontation can be of the Holy Spirit, but its purpose is to bring greater unity, all right? But, the, but conflict and strife purpose is to bring division. There's a huge difference between the two. And so unity is absolutely important, and it's one of the primary strategies that the enemy uses to, to, to cause a church, a ministry, or a Christian to stall in their effectiveness in extending the kingdom is to in some way bring disunity within a congregation, disunity within a, 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 a group of Christians because then the enemy basically makes them totally ineffective. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, the focus of that prayer was that, that his church those that he was about to leave after his death and resurrection and ascension, that they would be one. You know, but that was Jesus' prayer. That was a, that's the, almost like the highest goal, is that the church would be one, even as he and the Father are one, that we would likewise be so unified. And so that means this is super important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, it needs to be important to us. And we need to be practicing it as a congregation. Uh, demonstrate unity in everything you do. Number nine, generosity. They sold their possessions and divided them among all. So guys, go out and sell your cars, sell your houses. No. 
good time to sell a house, yeah. In fact, we have a realtor in the house. <laughs> um, the idea here is that they were generous. If there was a need, they, they did whatever it took to meet that need. Right? It doesn't, you know, church throughout uh, history was not a commune. Um, some people try to read that into this. But it meant that they were willing to, to give up uh, what they had so that others' uh, needs were met. And we as a church have historically been a, a very generous church in, in, in giving away a significant amount of what comes into this house. We support other ministries and missionaries. But it's just this absolutely essential. As a people, the church needs to be seen as generous. You know, and these are things that actually win the lost. And they come in and they see a united people gathered around um, you know, these things and, and a generous people that wins hearts far better than arguments will win a mind. All right? Generosity is huge, and it's an essential part of being a Christian and being a church. We need to be generous within the church, but also generous in our lives outside of the church. And I've taught about this uh, in other times. Jesus says, give to the, uh, he who asks. And, and it, without condition, that we need to be ready to, to give. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we don't uh, steward that in a wise way, but it means that our heart is ready to give. And that is interwoven into every aspect of church life. And we see that as an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. Number 10, eating together. Now, this one's actually talking about food, <laughs> right? This is hospitality, right? And it's important. Um, it's important to sit down and have a meal together. Um, I went to a, a month in, I, this was a few years ago, and I, to try to learn Spanish, I, I, I spent, um, ended up being three weeks in an immersive Spanish school in Puebla, Mexico. And it was in a house, big gigantic house, and there was anywhere from eight to 14 students at any one time. Um, but we all did lunch together. They would make lunch, and, and you, were, you had to speak Spanish around the table. Except I didn't know any Spanish, so they helped me out. <laughs> and I, it was hard. It was the hardest thing I ever did. <clears throat> but uh, seriously, it was the hardest thing I ever did, those, those three weeks of Spanish school. And I did learn some. <clears throat> uh, but near the end of it, uh, all of us just happened to be timed. Uh, you know, people come and go at different times. But like almost all but like one of the students We'd all been there for two or three weeks together, and this was the final week, and we were, we were just really connected, totally diverse group. I mean, really, from all different backgrounds. And we were going, why, why, is, this, why is this so, why do we feel so connected? And we just really enjoyed one another's company in a, in a really amazing way. And I, did, I was just listening to see how they, they figured it out. And one of them said, I think it's this. It's, it's eating together. And there was another pastor. He was actually a Catholic priest uh, <clears throat> there. And I, I, he's, he's a super cool guy. I was like, fellowship, dude, koinonia. And that even in a non-Christian setting, it was having a meal together and talking every day built 
a genuine community. And it was just this biblical principle being worked out. So, you know, have potluck, have meals together. That's why community groups share a meal together, share snacks. Ministry doesn't always have to look like ministry. Sometimes ministry is best done, you know, just going out to eat with somebody and talking. And it's a powerful thing. And it's equated here with these other things like uh, the Lord's Supper and prayer and signs and wonders. In God's book, he says this is one of the essential ingredients of being his people. Number 11, worship. And this is what, you know, many people put first on the list is that, boy, we have to have a great worship team, great worship. And yes, we want worship. And worship is to be an essential aspect of church. We gather together. When the church worships corporately, there's a demonstration and an increase of authority and access, right? It's just easier to worship when you're in a group that's worshiping, right? It, you just It's easier to spend 30, 40 minutes or, you know, if you go to a conference, a whole hour just worshiping the Lord because that's what everybody's doing. It's actually easier to sing when other people are singing correctly. Because <laughs> right? the vibrations in the room, it just is easier to get there, you know? And so uh, uh, there's power in worship, and it's, it creates an atmosphere where God can move. When we're lifting up God in songs and worship, it creates an atmosphere where God can sneak in, you know, and get to the people's hearts. And so we want to be a church that worships. Worship attracts the Holy Spirit, um, and, and, and it will attract uh, people that are hungry for God if we have a a place where there's authentic worship and not just a, a performance where you're w- watching or listening to people worship that happen to be professional, but when we as a congregation sing together, when there's a worship uh, uh, emanating from everyone in the room, that changes the atmosphere. All right, the last one. Boom. Salvation. <clears throat> All right, salvation. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily uh, those who are being saved. How many want to see this fulfilled in their life? All right. Well, it happens to be being fulfilled worldwide. Around 170,000 people get saved every day. But I want to see it in this congregation. A regular salvations that require us to have baptism services on a, on a weekly or at least a monthly basis. Um, I believe that salvations is the result when... You know, in part, when we have all these other things happening, it just equips people to lead people to Jesus, all right? Which is the purpose of church is that, you know, you are all commissioned to be evangelists, do the work of evangelists. It may not be your primary calling, but each and every person, you can tell somebody your experience of how Jesus has changed your life. And that uh, that testimony may change their life. And so we believe that... Uh, 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 you know, growing Christians is important, but making Christians is the primary goal. Uh, we need to reach the lost with the message of the gospel so that they don't spend eternity separated from the Father that loves them, uh, uh, you know, in anguish of hell, but they're able to enjoy God in the present and the fullness of God in, in the resurrection. Pastor Bill, would you come up and close this?
Thank you. Okay, so um, 12 points. We're going to do 12 responses before I let you go to Mother's Day lunches. I'm just kidding. <laughs> joking, joking. <laughs> but uh, I got a fun idea, actually, to respond to this message. Um, first of all, if you're a guest with us today at New Day, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Don't feel compelled to do this. You're just welcome to be our guest and, you know, enjoy your morning at New Day and check us out. But if you call this church home, I want to encourage you to do this response this morning, which is you've, you've got pens and paper, and if not, you can get one. Take a second right now and ask God, like, what are like one, two, maybe three of these that are a spiritual gift or strength for me? And then write it, whatever it is, on, on a corner of that paper, you know, where you maybe didn't take notes in one corner. Write it down, tear it off. And just lay it by the cross as a way to say, here's what I'm bringing to this koinonia, to this community. I have a strength in hospitality. I love having people over for a meal. Write that down in the corner of your sheet while I'm yakking at you. Go ahead, you can start writing. And then in a minute, we're just going to bring them up and we're going to put it by the foot of the cross as a way to say, God, I'm committed in the community where you've got me to contribute what you've gifted me in. Does that sound fun and cool? It does to me. I hope you're interested. So let's take a minute and do it. I'm going to do it with you. You can text it to the cross. Sure, that counts. Yeah, just leave your phone over there. <laughs> When yours is ready, we're gonna we'll pray and then we'll just do it all together. So when yours is ready, go like this. So I know you're, when I see a majority of slips of paper, I know we're ready to do this crazy idea of mine. <laughs> Don't overthink it. You you know your gift. Don't overthink it. Write a couple down. <laughs> If you think it's all 12, you can leave the whole notes and then just take them home later. You can go back up and get them later. <laughs> wave it at me. Wave, wave it around when you're ready. It's like, okay, we're getting, we're getting close. All right. We're going to pray over these giftings and over this community, and then we're going to bring them to the cross. Jesus, thank you for, maybe it's because I got the unity gift is one of mine, but thank you for all of these people. I love being in unity with these people and their gifts. It's a treasure to me. It's special. It's so cool, God, that you wouldn't do this, like, top-down, like, the awe is a thing, but, like, you don't do it all. We're in awe of you, but then you do stuff through us. It's always been your plan that we participate with you in what you're doing on the earth, and that's the way this community works. So, God, we pray a blessing over our gifts. We offer them to you. We're going to just lay them together as a community at the foot of your cross, as a way of responding and saying, I'll give my gifts to this community. Wow. What, what an amazing move of the Holy Spirit this is going to be. 